This episode is sponsored in part by Vapotherm. To learn more about their cutting-edge high-flow nasal cannula, visit Vapotherm.com today. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Em Over Easy podcast. We are actually sitting together around a little clump of chairs, John. Truth. We are in sunny San Diego with a good friend of the show, just good friend in general. Right, Jeff Comp, who's been been on a couple times. Man, it's uh, it's always it's always awesome to see you guys and in and, and realsies, right? I, I mean, are you guys are you guys all unmuted? Yeah, you're unmuted. Okay, we're good. unmuted. Okay, we're good. good. Okay, good. You didn't you didn't hear me talking the no. last few minutes? No. Oh man, it was a Zoom joke, John. Yeah. I'm trying. All right, I think you're frozen. All right, so we really wanted to bring Jeff on to talk about this idea of the resuscitation mindset. So, if you pay attention to to Jeff or to places he's given conferences for, this was actually a talk that you gave at ASUAP. About 18 months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I've heard, and I've heard part two. Yeah. And, and when I heard part two, I was like, we got to bring Jeff on to talk about this resuscitation mindset. Because, it again, it talks around a lot of things that we've talked about on the show, but we've never focused on this particular part of it. So, Jeff, when you hear the phrase resuscitation mindset, what is the definition for you? That's a really, that's a really excellent question. I guess... It has to be, a, I mean, I'm defining it with the, with the answer. It's a state of mind, right? It's really being able to say, hey, I'm finding some comfort in this discomfort. And how do I lead myself, but also lead my team? Get yourself in that sweet spot to be able to perform to save a patient's life. I love your definition because I feel that so many times we, we think about this mindset that it's just us, right? But I love yes. the way that you've approached this is that really the mindset, it starts with you. But if it doesn't permeate to your team... It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have a ton of value. Yeah. And and we've all been in those resuscitations, right? I mean, I was able to train with you guys and you guys saw me sort of, I'm sure, incredibly rocky and terrifying resuscitations. And now me working at a as faculty, you can really see how it's very easy for an entire team to get derailed. Mm-hmm. If it's an issue with confidence, sometimes it's it's an issue with the team not coming together. But a lot of it can come from us, right? If you don't have that mindset of saying, hey, I am the leader of this group, the whole team can fall apart. And that starts with with you, right? When you walk in the door, when you walk into shift, where is your head at? And that's that's the first step. The first step is, you know, am I am I going to work? You're working one of, you know, we have front room shifts and you're thinking about something else, you know, when the EMS tone does come off and, you know, we have a sick patient coming in, if you are getting caught flat-footed, your whole team will get caught flat-footed. I really like the the thought of something called the zero-point survey, where it's your pre-primary survey, right? So before you do your ABCs, it's how you check in with both yourself as well as your team. Um, and it can be as easy as, hey, guys, this is what we have coming in. We're going to prioritize and focus on having a shared mental model, right? So something that we want to work on together, right? We want to focus on early sets of vitals if Frankly, they have them. You know, we have those patients that maybe we don't have that. We want to work on access and talking about directed team tasks and not the kind of like closed loop feedback that we see in those ACLS videos that are super painful to watch, but actually saying, hey, rather than I need you to complete this task, this is the goal that I want to have completed. And this is how we can do it together. One of the things that you're talking about, which I've seen in various permutations in the resuscitation world, is this idea of being prepared before the arrest or the resuscitation actually happens. And so I think sometimes we don't put enough focus on that aspect of it, of the 
how important it is. I think back to my time in EMS, as well as years in the emergency department, right? The two things that you hear people complain about after a resuscitation in general, like if I were a bed man, are going to be one of two things. Either a piece of equipment we needed or wanted or should have had, we didn't have, or it didn't work, or we couldn't find it, or whatever, right? And so it derails the entire resuscitation because you spend your energy thinking about what might have been. Or it is that this resuscitation was poorly run. It was mismanaged. So-and-so didn't step up and talk loud enough. We didn't understand what the goal was. So there are occasionally other things that come about resuscitations But far and away, those are the two most common complaints. And the interesting thing is what you're talking about is one of them is completely developable, which is how you actually lead the resuscitations or teach people to. And the other one is completely avoidable. And I I like the fact that you don't like people or don't allow people to skate on that. When you're in a room and you can't find a fill in the blank kit, right? Central line kit, ABG, extra guide wire, whatever it may be, that's actually a planning problem. That has has nothing to do with it. That is exactly right. Yeah. And it was totally preventable. And I think one of the issues that we have is certainly in pre-hospital medicine, I saw this, and this is no shame to my pre-hospital brethren and sisters in any way. When you come into a shift at 7 a.m. and you have a list of things to check to see that they're on the truck and you're supposed to go through every day and make sure that the bulb works on the laryngoscope blade and that there are EKG stickers in the EKG patch and that you have IV catheters of every different size that you might need. It gets so rote and boring because it's hard to tie those two events together of how frustrating it is when you're getting ready to intubate somebody And the bulb doesn't work on your favorite blade, right? Or nowadays, your favorite video, the ringoscope system, right? Or it goes out or it's dirty or it's not bright enough or it wasn't charged, you know, fill in the variation. You're getting ready to get a great ultrasound view. You just had the liver, uh, you know, window open up. You're swinging it around. You're about to catch that illustrious cardiac view and oh, battery went out because nobody had plugged in. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because if Drew was here, he would talk all about checklists. Um, because checklists, I think, are, are a way to fix one of these problems. The checklist manifesto. Yeah, the because che- again, this is what airline pilots do. They, I mean, if you wonder if you've ever walked by a cockpit and you wonder what they're doing with their little piece of paper, they're looking at a checklist. And this becomes something that I do on my shift to where one of my residents gave me crap because I'll come into my shift, I'll put my stuff on my desk, and then I'll literally just I'll leave for ten minutes. And one of them was like, "What are you doing?" And I literally go turn on every laryngo, I turn on all the video laryngoscopes. I make sure my fiber optic works. I make sure my ultrasound machine works. I literally just do like a general perusal and then I'll come back and I'll go to the end and be like, Hey, we don't have enough trauma lines in the trauma room. Can you, can we have somebody go get those? And it's just cause it's become a daily thing to where I had too many resuscitations in residency and post residency where that one thing was such a problem. Right. And to me, it's the easiest thing to fix. And, but that is also part of the problem, which is not when it's just you, because in the pre hospital environment, Typically, the medic or EMT that's running the rig for the day, that's their responsibility. However, in the ED, it's a team-based problem, right? And if you have the probably, and this isn't meant to be condescending, but the lowest trained person in charge of stocking, right? And you're not clear and explicit, right? It's easy to do if there's set numbers for everything and they follow those numbers. 
But imagine what it's like if you don't know what any of these things do. And you look up and there's only one of them, but there's not zero. Sure. And absolutely. so it's probably fine, right? Like you don't, you don't need another whatever, whatever it is, um, right? You know, you can, they can stock that tomorrow, right? Then whose job does it become to go and check that and to make sure so you don't find out in the middle of resuscitation? Well, and I think this goes to where it's great to have a personal mindset, but you have to get the hive to think that way. Yes. Correct. And have a hive mentality around yes. a mindset, which, yep. which to me is that that's like the long term goal is how do I build a resuscitation hive yep. at, my, at my shop? And, and that is actually the resuscitation mindset. Like the resuscitation isn't just while you're in the room with the patient, right? It's being ready to receive a patient anytime, yeah. anywhere, I mean, that's when any it, age. That's when it's live and on center stage and like gets to show itself off. Right. But there's a lot involved in, in the prep for that. Yep. So. And even with your team, right? I mean, John, you brought up the, the physical materials that you have, and I've been derailed in a resuscitation where something hasn't worked. But I mean, we think about how one of the, I mean, one of the benefits of our job is that we get to work with so many different people, but that's also sometimes a negative, right? We go to a new shop or some, some of our, some of your listeners will work in multiple different hospitals and we don't always know the name of the person that's going to be checking pulses. We don't know the, the name of the nurse that's recording. And we think about, you know, what would happen if a sports coach had a brand new lineup every time they started a game? I mean, and, this and like, a lineup that was just handed to them. That was just handed, right. And I mean, all the games were life or death. Right. Exactly. So, so this is, this is, there's the material aspect, but then managing the team. And this all comes back to, if you are able to manage yourself and have that kind of a, a perspective when, when you, when the patient rolls in the door, you know, sometimes we get heads up, sometimes we don't. If you're able to take control of that situation, your team will work with you rather than having that sort of everyone panicking. Things are chaotic. You know, I think the one, of, in my opinion, one of the hardest patients is the, the patient that was stable and is now unstable. And you have a nurse that runs out of the room saying, hey, you know, we've got low oxygen stats or even worse, we don't have a pulse anymore. And trying to get your group to, to come together cohesively, that's really hard. It looks very different. Yes. The, the resuscitation that was brought in by an EMS unit or you had advanced notification of versus the cardiac arrest at the front door. Exactly. The patient that was doing fine went to CT, came back not so fine. Those look really different. And I think that is a great area that we have to think about sometimes for our EMS folks when maybe we're sometimes a little too critical of how the resuscitation went. went. You know, imagine what it's like for your first few minutes when you had somebody who was completely stone cold stable and now there's been a change in their condition. How do you get that team to the next level, because there's something you have to push through, which is the actual, to be honest, the, the shock that something has happened. And then you have to get everybody on board, you know, quickly to, to actually do the resuscitation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. As you guys are, as we're describing this, I remember I had a conversation with a good friend who does nothing in medicine. And he asked me what was the one of the most challenging parts of our job. And I brought up, um, resuscitations and he asked me why. And it wasn't until you guys brought it up that I, I mentioned, I was like, Oh yeah, cause it's, they bring you a patient you don't know with information you won't get and you have to make split decisions that will alter the patient's life. And he goes, well, that's the same team every time. Right. And I was like, uh, no, don't and, I wish, <laughs> but, and, and, and his thought was there is not another business or job or like even within medicine, we're the only specialty that I like, got maybe critical care, but you know, surgical surgeons have scrub techs that they always work with. They have the same pre and post-op nurses in their office. Like, 
they handpick their team that they always know who their team is. But, and this is why this mindset is so important is to build it for yourself and then expand it to your, to the hive. That way it doesn't matter who's there. Right. But they know that when they work with Jeff or when early when they work in your emergency department, this is what's expected for a resuscitation for it to be successful. And I think that's the key, right? Because we're talking about how there will always be flux. So I think being able to say when you work in this emergency department, this is how it's going to go, right? And by working with your partners, with your colleagues, other EM attendings, other residents, and having everyone on the same mindset, the consistency and the, the constant that all of the rest of the team will have is the mindset of the leader to be able to say, you know, even if I don't quite know what's going on, I know that the guy that's standing at the foot of the bed has his own stuff together and he's going to be the one that's going to lead us and, and get us through this. And when you have that confidence in yourself, it is palpable when you have that kind of a team leader. It reminds me a little bit too, and this has become less common, although I think it's circling back to become a little more common again, which is when you're an ED physician working at maybe a smaller hospital or hospital that isn't staffed 24-7 with other folks, and you have to leave your emergency department and go to the floor for resuscitations, usually codes or airway management. And what a difference it makes in those hospitals when you know when it's small enough that you, you actually know those nurses as well. But the point is that you can be in a hospital that's a little bit bigger s- still where you have to do that. And that's where the self-knowledge, knowing what and how you like to have things done and being able to direct people is a good thing. And one of the tricks that I learned when I was a medical student working with a, a very experienced ER doc that worked in a very rural setting, and he had to go all over the hospital for to do stuff at night and we went several times when I was rotating with him as a student, we had a floor response. And when we get there, it was always interesting. He would walk in and he would introduce himself and he would say the same thing every time. Hi, I'm Dr. Smith. I'm here to help. Thank you for calling me. It looks like you guys have done everything right. That's tell me awesome. What, tell me what's happening. That's and awesome. And so... It was an immediate, and it, it kind of parallels what we talk about a lot with speaking to consultants, right? It immediately establishes, I've got this. I've done this a lot. I'm very comfortable with this. I appreciate everything you've done. Like he didn't care if he came into the room and the patient was upside down and people were hanging from, from the ceiling. From the it was, looks like you've done everything you could do up to this point. Now, tell me what's happening oh, we can't breathe for them or they're vomited everywhere. I can't find a pulse or whatever. And he would actually just start directing. Hey, you there at the neck, can you check for a carotid pulse for me? Do you know how to do that? And he would ask it in such a way that it wasn't condescending at all. It didn't matter if the person at the head was a respiratory therapist or just a tech that had been walking by on the floor that had no idea how to check a pulse, right? right? Exactly, right. They would either say yes or no and they would help and they would move on, right? And that was a skill that he had developed. That Over is, time. that is incredible. Something that I, I talk with the residents and I may have even said on, as a guest on one of your shows before is you have to figure out how you can defibrillate a resuscitation, right? Again, you can have these scenes and I'm sure there were multiple episodes in, in that story where he walked in and it was bananas, bananas, but being able to say, Hey, we're going to reset together. That allows you to switch into that resuscitation mindset for the whole group, right? Because now everyone says, okay, we're going to work on this together 
rather than the individual tasks, right? Someone runs in and they start trying to find an IV. Someone else runs in, they try to do something else. No, no, no. My name is Dr. Smith. I'm here to help. And now everyone goes, okay, we're good. Yep. And That's we've all fantastic. been in the opposite resuscitation, right? You know, oh, yeah. At least I have. No. Where, I, Matt, yeah. I'll never forget there's a resuscitation, my, my, my chief year or my senior year residency where the attending was peripherally there. It was running very, very smoothly because the mindset was the way I like to run resuscitations, which as you guys know, was quiet, confident, you know, very conscientious and very tactful in what we do. And I don't know, 20 minutes in, the attending kind of pulls apart the curtain and like announces that they've arrived, yells at the group and says, hey, stop for a second, recognize that I'm here and I'm in charge. I'll never forget that literally like we all like look at the door and then they look at me and I was like, did this little like, let's keep going. And like, we, okay, we acknowledge that you're here. That wasn't very helpful. We're going to go back to what we're doing. Because you want to be able to defibrillate it in a way that gains confidence in your staff that, again, is variable and then also promotes further improvement. Yeah. And to be clear, too, the Dr. Smith example, when we went to a code that was happening there in the intensive care unit, it was very different. You know, he didn't walk in and do that because he walked in and saw that everything was moving in a, in a great direction. And when there was an appropriate moment, he said, hey, it's Dr. Smith from the emergency department. Do you need anything and how can I help you? Because clearly what was needing to be done was already being done. This was a matter of pro forma, right? They needed to have someone there, but the patient was already intubated and being bagged. And yeah, there was meds were being given. Like everything was, needed to be done. There yeah. was, but those are also, I found, the resuscitations that are, in theory, the easiest can also be the most complicated because it's very easy to stop paying attention to let that mindset kind of relax and then something doesn't go exactly right. And I will tell you, it's a lot easier to maintain a resuscitation mindset than it is to start it back up if there's been a derailment. Yes. Or if there's a change in condition, right? I mean, we'd like to think, and, and all of us are, we're, we're all EM. So we know that, you know, for a large majority of the time, cardiac arrests don't always go great. Uh, and I've seen some of my residents get remarkably derailed when we get ROSC, right? I mean, oh, oh, so now we have pulse and it's kind of this like, we're no longer following an ACLS algorithm. It's another time when I say, all right, so how do we reframe this? How do we say, okay, we no longer have a pulseless patient. We now have a critically ill patient and we need to work on resuscitation. So how do you reframe and almost again, if we can use the same term, how do we defibrillate the situation again? Because let's say they did a beautiful intro with the whole team. Hey guys, we're going to have, we have an 80 year old gentleman that was found down. We're going to do high quality uh, CPR. Um, I want you to record. I'd like, you know, pulse checks at this time, epi at this time. Maybe we're going to set our other medications. And then we get ROSC and I've seen that exact same confident resident go, oh my goodness. Okay. What's next steps? And training them to say, all right, we've had a change. We're going to do it again, right? To, to understand, hey, we can reframe again. And that's how, that's how we have success in some of these, these more challenging or, or constantly shifting cases that we have. So if we were to kind of sum up, we can, each of us kind of go around the table. What are the points that if you were with a learner, a fellow attending, somebody who struggles with the resuscitation mindset, where do they start to get to this end where you build a hive mentality where you work? So I'll start with mine for maybe the most novice of all. If you're really new to this or you want to get into this, I would say start with yourself and start by kind of a hybrid of what we talked about, which is start by taking a little bit of time, 
when you have downtime or a little bit before shift or whatever and going and checking your resuscitation room or area to make sure you're familiar with where everything is at and know where you can gather things. And while you're doing that, think about scenarios. One of the easiest things to do is run different scenarios in your head. Yes. What would I, what would I do if a patient coded in room 18 and not in the resuscitation bay? What would I do if a pediatric arrest came in and they were put in the adult resuscitation bay. Start doing those scenarios in your head to pre-plan so that when little variants of that scenario inevitably happen, you already have a game plan. I think that's fantastic. And we spoke on the show previously about mental rehearsal and the importance of walking through some of those cases and finding some comfort in that space. I, I think for me, I'll give some advice to maybe the moderate to seasoned uh, resuscitationist. I want you to think about the good resuscitations that you've run. Think about the good codes that you've run. Be mindful about what made it go well. Also think and, and watch some of your colleagues and see how they run codes. I'm, I'm out of residency, but I'll still wander through and I'll watch one of my other colleagues or some of the other residents run resuscitation and I'll take some good and some bad and say, oh my, that really didn't turn out well. But it's an opportunity for me to figure out maybe when I, I wouldn't quite step in it as much as they did. Or I'll say, oh, man, what an incredible way of, of saying, hey, can I have someone over there pre-charging our, my, my defibrillator? Or, hey, can I have someone else be doing this? Or little techniques to match your own sort of reflection of your, of your own good codes and identifying how you can make them better through observing other people as, as they practice with some of these more difficult patients, too. I hate to say this, but there's two things, but it's two parts. One is be curious. There's a lot of really good information out there that that comes from outside of the EM world that you can bring to the bedside with your patients. But more importantly, realize this is a process. Do not get upset if the next time you run a recess, it isn't magically better. And I think and that's for this is for everybody. We have to get in the mindset of a 1% better mentality every time that if we're 1% better, that it'll take us you know 50 recess, recesses to get perfect. And that's okay. Because again, if you want to build this resuscitation mindset and build a hive mentality, because of there are so many variables involved, it will take multiple times for this to work and probably multiple failures along the way and be okay with that. Cause don't get dismissive. But if I think about the one thing that has markedly changed my practice, it's building this resuscitation mindset and trying to share it with others. And that's where I trained, where I worked after residency, the other places I've worked and where I work now, building a resuscitation mindset takes time and be okay with that process. Ask your colleagues to watch your resuscitations to say, hey, how could I be better? And that goes with the with your curiosity, right? Make sure that you are always, always trying to learn and always working on improving. Because when you have the secondary gain to that is if you go to one of your seasoned all-star nurses and say, hey, how do you feel that that went? And, you know, that's outside of a regular debrief, right? We should be debriefing our codes uh, in, a, in a group, but saying specifically you, I trust you to give me feedback on how I can be better that nurse tech whoever will think so much so they will think so highly of you for coming to them and asking and that builds that relationship right that builds that trust so for the next time they'll say hey i'm going to be looking to see how he can do better or hey this guy really does want to improve let's see how we can do this together the duality of that is is that that will also spread yes because everybody at this table trained at the same place and it was amazing to me that whenever something didn't work out right, it's because you were trying to do it alone. And the only way things got better was when it spread like wildfire because you went and you got an honest appraisal. And then led to that respect from that person. 
and then respect for each one of the people they have influence over. And it just kind of trickles down to where John and I saw residents go from being, oh, they're the worst, to literally within months gaining reputations by because they went and they talked with a nurse or they talked with a tech and they kind of built relationships. Jeff, thanks so much for bringing to the table as always. Thanks, Jeff. I, I mean, thanks, this is, it is an honor. I love coming and seeing you guys. You guys are incredible. Well, thanks for sticking around and listening to the entire episode discussing the resuscitation mindset with guest Jeff Comp. Don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. To learn more about this amazing organization and how you can get involved, visit acoep.org today.